Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Lamb. Wherever you are, whoever you are, crypto skeptic, half believer, or enthusiast, it's really great to have you tuning in to Crypto Unstacked, where we bring you a cup of crypto every week and unstack everything from crypto finance to global macroeconomics. This podcast assumes basic knowledge of crypto and aims to explore some more advanced topics about the crypto markets, such as trading strategies, lending, and derivatives. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Amber Group to buy or sell any financial products. Information expressed by the host or guest in this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Amber Group. This week's Crypto Unstacked features Daniel Armitage, co-founder of Minor Update, a crypto mining media company that put on the first ever English-speaking crypto mining event in China last year. Following the event's massive success, Miner Update continues to bridge the mining community in the East and the West through their research and consulting services. In this episode, Daniel gives us a 30,000-foot view of the mining industry and shares his thoughts on a variety of topics, including the evolution of the crypto mining space, the institutionalization of mining over this past year, why Guanxi relationship is the key to China's mining business, and miners' mentality going into the halving. We also recap part of Miner Update's mind-blown load-up-or-blow-up virtual meetup that took place on May 7th, and Daniel unstacks the anatomy of putting on a successful crypto event. I had a lot of fun chatting with Daniel and hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hey, Daniel, welcome to Crypto Unstacked. It's great to have you join me on the pod. Thanks, Leslie. It's really great to be here. Why don't you start us off by sharing more about your background and path to crypto and mining more specifically? Sure. So I got into the crypto space in 2017, right near the peak of the bull market. I had just graduated that year from applied math and computer engineering. Around that time, the kimchi premium was pretty crazy. I was in Seoul. I had previously interned at the Canadian Pension Plan Investment Board in their quant group. So for me at that time, it was kind of a no-brainer to to start trying to build some trading bots to capture some of that arbitrage. Given my background in engineering, the concepts came a bit easier. I really found the whole concept of crypto really interesting. You know, around that time, I think people like Ari, David Paul were talking about how crypto was the intersection of so many different fields like economics, politics, game theory, cryptography, computer science all these kind of things. And so it really sucked me down that rabbit hole. Throughout 2018, I started doing some consulting in the industry. Through the latter half of 2018, I worked with a family office, doing some advisory work with them about their portfolio companies. They were exploring different ways of cryptoifying their companies. And uh, a lot of my advice was, this is probably not a good way to do it. (laughs) But they had been in the mining space since around 2012. So that was my first exposure to mining. When I first started researching mining, there was not a whole lot of information out there. It was pretty hard to track down who were legitimate players in the space. 
what kind of things one should even look for in the mining space, whether you're trying to set up a mining operation, whether you're a retail miner or an institutional miner, all these things. It was, it was basically just very hard to navigate the mining market at that point in time. Fast forward a bit to April of 2019, my co-founder Mia and I, or soon to be co-founder uh, at that time, we were chatting and we we felt like there was kind of a hole in the market, which was just that there was no good content out there for crypto mining, at least in North America, that was the case. So in China, because the mining industry has always been a lot bigger over there, there was decent content. And so Mia, who is Chinese, had good exposure to that. But in North America, we, we really didn't have much. So we wanted to help port some of that information over to the northern market and at the same time, kind of help fill some gaps in the mining market. That's the story leading up to minor update. I know minor update started with a simple thesis, and that is as long as Bitcoin is king, mining is fundamental. I find this very intriguing. Could you share more about what you mean by that? Yeah, definitely. I'm interested in the the broader cryptocurrency market, but at the end of the day, I think Bitcoin is leading the charge in terms of bringing us mainstream adoption, in terms of, you know, making the world more comfortable with the cryptocurrency. On top of that, I think that given how long it has survived, how many people it has been exposed to, Bitcoin is really the dominant cryptocurrency. There's there's no question about that. When you're looking at Bitcoin, a lot of people are looking at it from the lens of how can I make money from this? Can I trade this? Like what value does it give to me? But there's this whole fundamental part of Bitcoin, which is, at least in my experience, had always been neglected, which is the mining part. So miners do an essential service for Bitcoin. They support the network. They enable transactions to happen. They protect the ledger. And as long as Bitcoin is this dominant cryptocurrency, this concept of mining is fundamental. And we really need to understand it better and have reputable players who are helping secure the network. So one goal of Miner Update is to bridge the gap between the East and the West in mining while delivering the crypto community, the latest insights on the mining industry, research, developments on what's going on. It's been, I think, about a year since your official launch. How's progress been? And why is it important that you help to bring in participants from the mining community from across different regions to speak with one another? Yeah. So if, as we said, mining is so fundamental to the industry, you really want a diverse group of people securing the network, that just reduces centralization risk. Historically, mining has been dominant in China for a number of reasons. In China, they have local infrastructure or cheap infrastructure that they can build. They have local talent, which is also cheaper, quicker setup times, they've got more robust secondary hardware markets. And I think a key factor is they have had in the past a lot of surplus hydro. That's still the case today. And that really powers their mining industry over there. So China has been a dominant player for a long time. The idea of bridging the East and the West is really helping grow the West to help catch up to the East. That's not necessarily to mean take away anything from, from the East, but it is, I think, beneficial to the Bitcoin network if we have more miners in different parts of the world. Yeah. So historically, miners have been cagey about sharing information. At least that's what I think. You know, I caveat this by saying that there are a lot of miners out there who are fantastic. Some of them who joined us during our virtual meetup yesterday and are willing to educate both miners and non-miners like myself. 
This is probably due to the fact that, you know, there wasn't as big of a mining presence outside of China for a really long time. And that's really just starting to turn a corner now. So how do you think a more transparent and connected mining community helps to benefit the crypto industry more broadly? And how have you seen the mining industry evolve over the years? So making a more transparent and connected mining community has, is really at the heart of what we're trying to do at Miner Update. And more broadly, we want to do that across the East and the West. How we're trying to do this is through a few different ways. The first is through our content. We want to provide high quality content at all times, whether it's through our insight pieces that we post on a regular basis or through our newsletter. Then we also work with some people on developing research. John, John will talk about that. And I do that on a, on a private basis as well with some consulting clients. The second main area we try and make the industry more transparent and connected is through our events. I'm of the belief that, you know, if you get everyone in the same room, let people meet face to face, that opens some major barriers between the East and the West. So last year in October, we brought a bunch of the mining leaders from both China and North America to Chengdu, which is kind of the mining capital of the world. Over 50% of the Bitcoin network's hash rate is estimated to be in Sichuan. Uh, we wanted everyone to go out there and meet. That was kind of our, our big attempt at bridging the East and the West and making things more transparent. That was last October. So, you know, we're about half a year out from that. I would say generally in the last year, though, this industry has gotten a lot more transparent. There's been a number of people who are starting to post more research about the mining industry. They're starting to just get more interest in the mining industry. I think that partly flows naturally from more investments happening in the mining space. We've seen the network grow in the past year from around 40 exahashes to I think 125 roughly at its peak. That's a lot of money that's been invested in the mining space. Personally, I have a, like a simple kind of mental model for breaking that down. And you can kind of plug in whatever numbers you want whenever you're using this mental model. But let's say the BTC mining network has grown by 100 exahashes in the past year. So that's around 100 million terahash per second. The average mining rig is around 50 terahash per second, at least the rigs that came out last year. And again, these are these are rough numbers. 100 million terahash per second divided by 50 terahash per second for a rig. That's around 2 million new mining rigs out there. And if you think that each rig is around 2K, again, rough estimate, then the value of all rigs that were bought in this past year is around $4 billion. You know, there's a lot of money that's flowing into this space. Speaking of capital investment in this space, are you also seeing more of the institutional investors becoming more interested in getting exposure to crypto via mining? Yeah, that, it's hard to say. When people are analyzing the mining industry, for some people, it makes a lot of sense. For others, it doesn't. I have pretty regular calls with different financial groups, a lot of hedge funds, and then the more exciting conversations are with private equity groups. But you know, the hedge funds are looking to really get a read on the mining industry for how it affects the broader BTC market. For example, people ask about what, what happens during the halving, historically, what has happened during the halving. They ask about how does mining sell pressure affect the BTC market. They're looking to get some fundamental knowledge there. And then the private equity groups are, I would say, more interested in what you're discussing there. They're actually interested in making an investment in the mining industry, either private equity groups or you know, a number of family offices. Right. And could you talk to us a bit more about how you walk them through understanding the mining industry 
What does the process of working with them look like? Sure. So a lot of them, when they're looking to make an investment in the mining space, they've likely done quite a bit of research on their own. But the one group that I've worked with pretty closely, we've gone kind of through the whole process where we've talked about each of the different parts of the mining industry. So if you break down this industry into individual parts, you've got hardware, you've got mining rig management software, you've got firmware, you've got pools, you've got hosting sites. You need to make a decision of if you want to invest in infrastructure as well. All of these different parts of the industry are businesses in and of themselves. A financial group looking to get into the space, they can kind of enter at multiple points. If they have experience with data centers, they might be interested in setting up a hosting site. If they are really passionate about this concept of mining, then they might want to actually get into mining themselves. The kind of work that we do is breaking down each of these different parts and figuring out how A, to get the best deal for each of these, and B, work with reputable people that are knowledgeable in what they're doing, and these financial groups aren't going to get taken for a ride. Thanks for taking us briefly through the mining value chain. I want to dive deeper into that. Do you find certain players or industries, such as manufacturing, concentrated in certain regions in China versus the West? Uh, More of everything in China is the simple answer. The industry is just definitely way more evolved out there. This past year, uh, maybe past year or two, We've seen a few more innovative mining farms pop up that are using, for example, natural gas flaring to power their farms. I haven't really seen that at all in Asia. I think as well, we see some companies like immersion cooling companies that are more outside of China. But in terms of hardware and pools, there's definitely a dominance in in China. I do think that there's some room for some players to grow outside of China. And how do you think that will play out over the next year or so? The next year is kind of a wild card, depending on how Bitcoin price moves. There has been some good investments in the past year into the mining space. So, you know, there's some some good groundwork that's been laid out. I think it's tricky for mining pools to grow uh, outside of China while there's a lot of mining that goes on in China. You know, when people are deciding which pools to use, a lot of it is guanxi. It's a lot of people who have relationships with the pools. That's part of why there's a huge dominance of mining pools in China. Once we see more hash rate growing outside of China, which which is, you know, well underway, but once we see that happening, then we'll see probably some pools flourishing outside of China. On the hardware side of things, we see some players like SBI who are trying to build a mining chip outside of China. I think they're going to have a hard time, but I'm you know, rooting for these kind of players who are innovating in the space. One trend I think I'm seeing is the vertical integration of mining facilities in China and the West as more sophisticated miners build out their facilities and start to think about not only execution of mining, but also beyond that, including financial services. Is this what you're seeing as well? It's a good question that I'm not entirely sure about. Like, I guess it's a question of how far vertically integrated are you? If you are taking on too much of this industry, each individual component is pretty correlated in its value. And so as you vertically integrate, you're kind of just getting more and more exposure. And at the end of the day, 
most of the value of these parts of the mining world are dictated by the price of Bitcoin. Unpacking that a bit more, some of these private equity groups, if they have experience with data centers, they might be interested in setting up a hosting site. But if you think about it, these hosting sites in most cases are, are single purpose. They are only really usable for Bitcoin hardware. So if the value of Bitcoin plummets, and by consequence, the value of Bitcoin hardware plummets, the mining rewards plummet, then the value of these hosting sites also plummets. So if you are vertically integrating that far with both infrastructure and hardware and pools and et cetera, et cetera, you are giving yourself a lot of exposure to this industry and you might be safer diversifying a bit. That being said, it's an interesting play. If one makes this bet at the right time, they could be a big winner. Right. Yeah. Thanks for explaining that. And a macro event that's really just right around the corner for us in the crypto space is the halving. Uh, we're seeing bullish sentiment going into the halving. As as we're talking now, it seems like the price might actually hit up to 10K. Um, and I think it did briefly overnight here in Asia. Do you think that this bullish narrative for Bitcoin will continue on post halving? What are some of the components uh, that, that we should think about as we sort of assess how the mining industry will play out? Yeah, you know, I can't make any price predictions. I think that part of the rally right now is a bit of a buy the rumor, sell the news kind of situation on the halving. Some things to consider when going into the halving, though, from the mentality of a miner, I would say a couple points here. A mining rig shutting off does not mean a miner has gone out of business. The halving this year, which is when the Bitcoin block reward halves from 12.5 BTC to 6.25 BTC per block, that happens in the middle of a difficulty adjustment period. And these difficulty adjustment periods are every two weeks. There could be uh, this situation where the halving happens midweek and a lot of people shut off their rigs. And it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. I think a lot of people who are still mining to this day, they're kind of betting. They're trying to see what happens. And so they'll shut off their rigs midweek if it's not profitable for them to mine. And then a week later, if the difficulty adjustment happens and it increases their profitability to the point where you know they're making money again, then they'll, they'll turn them back on. So there's this asymmetry when it comes to hash rate moving down and up generally. It's easy for miners to shut off their rigs. And then when they turn the rigs back on, it is also quick, but it's quick to the point where I call it like a hash rate watermark, which is the peak hash rate. So right now that's around 125 exahash, let's say. And so we could see a lot of hash rate shutting off, but that hash rate can turn back on just as quickly to the point where we hit around 125 exahash. And then after that, it'll slow down again in its growth, because at that point, people need to buy new hardware, they need to install it, there's lead times and all this, there's kind of a, a big wiggle room below 125 exahash that it can go down and up quickly. And then after that, it'll slow down a bit. Ultimately, this is all just driven by the price of Bitcoin, though. Right. Yeah. So it seems like miners definitely need to be more dynamic in assessing whether to turn on or off an operation. And a lot of that hinges on this one thing, which is price, uh, which, of course, no one can make predictions on. Right. I guess a lot of the industry, you know, has consensus that a hash rate will fall. And along with that, you know, there might be a short term dip in the price, but that window will be very short. And that as the strong hands in the industry continue to operate that, for example, they'll buy up the equipment from the, 
the weaker hands and be able to build out more of their industry and, and therefore start to mine more again and kind of continue the interest from the supply side. Um, and, and hopefully we continue to see bullish, bullish sentiment from the stronger hands in the industry from both the retail and institutional side. Yeah. I'll, I'll add a bit more there. I do think that just like in trading, there is this dynamic of strong and weak hands. I think a lot of people who are still in the mining industry today do have stronger hands. You know, they're, they're willing to to take this risk. They know it's risky to get into mining, especially with the halving coming up. I've seen or in some discussions that I had at the beginning of the year, people were looking at this space, but they wanted to wait until after the halving to really make a decision. But the people who are in this space already have already kind of taken a leap. So they do want to stay in it. And if they've got strong hands, they'll likely survive or they'll, they'll likely stay in the business for a bit longer without selling. I think there's an important point to mention here as well, though, which is that there's kind of two price points that are important to a miner. Chris Bendixson breaks this down pretty well in one of his pieces, but there's this concept of an all-in all ROI break-even and a cash cost break-even. The second one, the cash cost break-even is kind of like the capitulation price. It's the point where it doesn't make any sense for you to keep your mining rigs on. It's the point where it's costing you more to mine in, in variable costs, electricity, wages, etc., to mine Bitcoin than you're earning in revenue. And so as long as we don't break that point, for most miners, they'll, they'll keep running. Even if their whole operation isn't profitable, they'll keep their mining rigs on. Chris, in one of his research reports, lays out a couple key price points. I think he was saying that the all-in ROI break-even price is around 6400 something like that. And then the cash cost break even is around $3,900. Take those numbers as you will. But but the point is like the cash cost break even is you know almost half of the all-in ROI price. So as long as people are, are making money, they've got free, their free cash flow positive, they'll keep their mining rigs on. So before we move on to the next topic, let's take a quick break and hear a few words about Amber Group. This episode of the Crypto Unstacked podcast is presented by Amber Group. Amber Group is a fully integrated crypto finance platform offering a suite of secondary market services across trading, wealth management, and financing solutions. We are backed by some amazing investors such as Paradigm and Pantera and work with clients and partners all over the world. Head on over to ambergroup.io to learn more about us. That's A-M-B-E-R-G-R-O-U-P.io. Daniel, now I want to shift gears and talk about the minor update virtual meetup yesterday. We had several members of the mining community tune in to your meetup called Mindblown, Load Up or Blow Up. Uh, well done hosting another wonderful and engaging event. One, how did you come up with that title? I think it's awesome. And two, why do you think we need to emphasize financial services for miners? <laughs> Uh, yeah, thanks. A credit to Idan and Mia on the name of that one. Pretty clever. Why do we need to focus on financial services for miners? So, so kind of the tagline of our event yesterday was load up or blow up. Right now, there's so much uncertainty for miners. Financial services, I believe, are a, a pretty important way for miners to protect themselves if used properly. There is obviously a, a risk in using some of these financial services if you are using them to, to lever up. Uh, and yesterday on the call, 
uh, Witt, Gibbs, and Wes Fulford broke down kind of this um, this balance of of when to use leverage and when to hedge. Given that there's so many people in the industry fighting for this fixed pie of rewards, different people need to use different strategies. Some people need to use leverage. Some people need to hedge to avoid going out of business. And it's a benefit to all people involved to understand this space a bit better. Building on that a bit more, I think at this point, mining is becoming more institutionalized. We've got bigger players coming in who are setting up bigger mining operations and they get this stuff a bit better but there is still a good number of people who started on a smaller scale who have just built up over the years and these financial services weren't really available when they first started and they don't necessarily have a financial background so we want to help these these bitcoiners who are doing this out of passion who are trying to secure the network we want to help them survive these periods of uncertainty in both the bitcoin market and broader market yeah you bring up a good point amber group is of course on the financial services side we work with a number of miners both in china and overseas some of the more upstream miners some mining pools and really we're still in the process of understanding the full mining spectrum the various needs and priorities of these miners uh, what their liquidity requirements are because this will allow us to help figure out creative solutions to service these miners because there's not one cookie cutter miner out there, right? And everyone will have different needs based on how they run their operations. I, I wanted to talk about Atomic Loans, actually. It was a ton of fun to hear insights from them. They're pioneering Bitcoin-backed loans in the DeFi space. I generally don't like to promote the division between CeFi and DeFi as if we're in two entirely different camps. I actually think DeFi is more or less an artificial division that's been drawn as a parallel narrative to the CeFi space. And I think we can all coexist in the same ecosystem. And although we're still in the very early stages on both sides, we're starting to see services integrating and complementing one another to achieve this common mission, right? Which is to serve market participants and move the crypto industry forward. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think in terms of DeFi versus CeFi products, really all that matters is does it work? And the importance of, of CeFi is if it doesn't work, who can we who can we point at? Who can kind of take the responsibility? I think early in developing some of these products, like in in the mining space, there are services that can be done with DeFi, and I think Atomic Loans is doing a great job of of kind of pioneering that on the loans front. But I think that there's other parts of the mining industry where DeFi things aren't really ready yet, and at that point, you do need a CeFi player to come in and take risk and take responsibility of different things. So for example, Biduda right now is coming in with difficulty swaps and other financial products and they're they're taking they're taking some risk there. And that's kind of an example of CeFi. It would be pretty hard at this stage of the mining market to do that in a DeFi way. Ultimately though, I think you're right these these services will blend. It just comes back to, you know, is this working and who is it working for? Yeah. And we also heard from Wes Fulford, uh, former CEO of BitFarms, during his fireside chat with Whit Gibbs from Hashrate. We learned a lot from them on the topic of hedging and leverage, which you mentioned. And, and in my view, really what it boils down to for miners is needing to be creative with running operations. Right, from sourcing energy, getting set up, to executing, accessing capital and financial services. 
there's no one way to do it. But the goal, of course, is to be as efficient as possible. You mentioned earlier in our conversation that you guys consult with various companies and you work with investors who are canvassing the market to better understand the industry. Can you talk more about how you guys help these financial groups navigate the mining industry? Yeah, for sure. Each part of the mining industry has its own little nuances of pricing and how it fluctuates with regards to Bitcoin price and other factors. So, you know, something as simple, uh, seemingly simple as as a rig price, when you look at the broader hardware market, there's usually like a fairly rational pricing model you, you can expect, and it doesn't fluctuate that much. But in the Bitcoin market, rig prices are affected by the model, the date of the year, really, like when how much hash rate is on the market at the time, the shipping lead time when you order it, the source, you know, whether you're ordering it from North America or, or Asia. And then again, yeah, the, the price of BTC is pretty critical. Just with that one example, for someone getting into the space, it's it's hard to navigate all that. So you do want to understand that a bit better. Things like hosting, you need to figure out what kind of miner you want to be. If you think about when you're investing in mining, your costs break down really into CapEx and OpEx. And on the CapEx side of things, you've got things like buying rigs, potentially buying infrastructure like racks or the land that you're even setting up your farm on. And then on the OpEx side of things, you've got things like electricity costs, wages, etc. And when you're getting into the mining space, you kind of need to figure out where on this spectrum of fully CapEx business to fully OpEx business you want to be. So a fully CapEx business would be someone buying electricity contracts multiple years out. They're buying the infrastructure, they're buying the hardware, et cetera. A fully OpEx business would be like renting hardware, if you can find a way to do that, hosting at a facility, paying electricity as it goes. So finding the sweet spot is where the creativity comes from. Uh, and the sweet spot is, is somewhere in the middle there between fully CapEx and fully OpEx. Right. And do you see these financial groups wanting to invest in their own infrastructure or just participating in a mining pool, for example? Uh, usually investing in, uh, they want to be owners of the of the hardware. A lot of people who come into this space think with a traditional mindset of like, we want hardware, we want to collateralize it. You know, this is how we do it in the data center space. So I would say they come in with more of an ownership mindset. In some cases, as they navigate the space a bit more and understand it more, that opinion changes. The kind of naive mindset when you come in is, I want to come in here. I want to own everything from hardware to infrastructure. I want my own pool, but that doesn't always work out. We'll dive deeper in the meetup during the next episode with John Lee Quigley, head of research at Minor Update. So be sure to tune in. In terms of things to look out for from Minor Update, what can our listeners expect from you guys later this year? Yeah, so yesterday was, as we mentioned, the first virtual event. We are exploring the idea of doing another virtual event, but really we would like to do another physical event. We'll see when that's possible again. We think that there's a lot of value in people meeting up in person and, and connecting and really getting that physical uh, experience. In terms of what we're working on, so we've got a couple things. Uh, we continuously do research in the back end whenever we find interesting things for the uh, mining world. We'll definitely share that. So keep an eye out for future research from us. I've been over this uh, kind of quarantine period building up a, a platform for helping connect prospective miners with hosting sites. You know, we're, we're exploring different models for that one. If you are a miner looking to connect with hosting sites or you're a hosting site looking to find new miners, uh, reach out to me at any time. And 
Yeah, I mean, I've got some advice for anyone who's looking to do an event. That's just based on my experience doing events. I would say generally for both physical and virtual events, there's kind of an anatomy of what goes into an event. So broad strokes, you got like a venue that you need to pick, then speakers, sponsors, media partners, and then attendees. So breaking into these parts down, venue for physical event, if you're picking one of these, just make sure it makes sense for your audience. So for us, you know, we did our first one in Chengdu and that made sense because Chengdu is the mining capital of the world. At this stage, if you're planning on doing an event, it's probably a virtual event. So pick a decent platform. We used Hopin yesterday, but you know, there's other options. Crowdcast I've seen does pretty good events and Zoom if you're looking to do a happy hour, something like that. Then when you're picking speakers, sponsors and, and media partners, the speakers are really the face of the conference. It's what attracts people. So it's great to have you know, new and intelligent speakers, it's also important to have well-known speakers kind of as a, as a stamp of approval on your event. Then the sponsors, these add legitimacy to your conference if done properly. You know, it's rare that people don't attend events because of sponsors. But remember, it does reflect on your brand. So try not to get sketchy <laughs> sponsors. We uh, we turned down a few sponsors for our Chengdu event because we did not align with them at all. Then media partners, I would say in a lot of cases, this is just a game. Uh, <laughs> but it's an important part of the game. It's, again, just like a stamp of approval, having a lot of media partners, you know, in China, you see media, you see events with like 30 media partners and you're kind of wondering what, what are all these people doing, but <laughs> it's part of the game. So then attendees, I think is the most important part of the event. For our events, we really focus like 90% of our effort on this because it's, it's really a make or break for the event. Some of the things we did for our Chengdu event, we tickets were completely free and we invited the vast majority of the people ourselves, not just telling people to invite their friends, but getting directly connected to important miners and arranging calls with them to personally invite them. It's kind of like the Paul Graham saying of do things that don't scale. Uh, we, we took that to heart and I recommend it for anyone doing an event, uh, even a virtual event. Try and get at least a core audience of, of really high quality people because it will change the outcome. And then finally, the organizers and the team is uh, an important part of doing these events. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other rabbit hole to go down. But you you gotta you gotta prep. You need a, a showrunner of sorts to make sure everything goes smoothly. The more smoothly the event runs, usually that means there's more things going on behind the scenes. And Mia, I would say, is our is our rock on our team. She does an incredible job of doing this. Yeah, I can definitely vouch for you guys. Uh, appreciate the advice there for anyone who is looking to host a virtual meetup. Do take this advice into consideration. I love the way that the meetup was done yesterday. So um, yeah, I hope to see more of those in the future. Did you get a chance to do the networking? I did actually. Yeah, I did a bit, uh, but forgot that it was speed dating. So we're just getting into the heart of it, you know, learning about each other. And then it just cut off immediately. And I thought, oh, wow, <laughs> I, uh, I I really should keep things brief. But yeah, it, it was great. And you could also visit booths as well, get to know some of the speakers a little bit better through these interactive engagements. And yeah, I just thought it was really well done. It was a great 360 engagement and it's much better than a massive Zoom call where most people are on mute and not really listening anyways, I feel like. So So this one really forces you to see who else is there with you as an attendee. That's great to hear. It's interesting to hear it from from the other side. I was uh, behind the behind the camera the whole time, so I, I didn't really get too much of an opportunity to to hop around and, and connect. But happy to hear that you enjoyed it. Yeah, your your hair was probably on on fire trying to coordinate everything. <laughs>
Now I want to move on to the part of our conversation where our listeners can get to know you a bit more. Uh, so, so this is a personal question. What important truth about the crypto space or mining more specifically uh, that you believe in that few might agree with you on? Well, I don't know how this will reflect on me, uh, but I think an important truth about the mining space that at least newcomers need to to realize, but that I think you know most people have internalized in the mining space is that it's very competitive and very cutthroat. So as we kind of broke down before, there's a fixed pie of rewards for miners. And although I think that we've done a, a good job in the past year of, of bridging East and the West, you know, bridging all miners together, at the end of the day, they are competing for a fixed set of rewards. So just always keeping that in mind is, is important. People are constantly going for each other's clients. In my experience, any company in this space that has competitors, they're all vying for each other's clients. I don't want to make it sound too uh, <laughs> brutal, but you know, it, it makes sense. Everyone's competing for at this point, you know, six six and a half billion dollars worth of rewards, soon to be half of that after the halving. For sure. Mining is the survival of the fittest. I think mining is as Darwinian as it gets in the crypto industry. So yeah, I, I agree with you on that point. Now it's time for a round of rapid fire mining edition. I'm going to ask you whether you're bullish or bearish on a topic and you can expand if you wish. So let's start it off. Bitcoin post having bullish or bearish? Price or as a concept? Both. Shorter time frame, bearish longer time frame, bullish, and as a concept of Bitcoin, highly bullish long term. Hash rate market, bullish or bearish? Bullish. What is a development within the mining industry that has surprised you over this past year? Bullish. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think community, I think, has surprised me the most over the past year. You know, that's maybe a boring answer to, to most, but it's, it's really what we look at most. And I've seen a lot of groups form in the past year. A lot more discussion happening, you know, despite my kind of rain cloud answer earlier of, of the competition, there is there is definitely a community that has formed. And I would say the mining industry is like a cohesive industry now. It's not just a few isolated players scattered throughout the world. When you think about the mining industry, there is something to point to. What excites you going forward about the crypto mining industry? I think growth in some interesting financial products. This is probably a pretty repeated answer from a lot of people, but things like the hash rate markets, I, I mentioned I was bullish on that. I think right now mining is uh, a game for institutional players or at least people who have access to a lot of capital. And that's usually because they need to do this full investment. They need to either buy the rigs or just get involved in a pretty serious way in different parts of the industry. At this stage of mining, being a home miner is not so profitable anymore. You can make money, but it's not so profitable. So hash rate markets really open that up for both the at-home person who wants to get exposure to Bitcoin mining, but also to trading desks who are looking to trade hash power as a new asset class. You know, I think that it'll, it'll bring a lot more money and attention into this space. And on top of that, you know, more in-depth analyses. I think there's some some gaps in the mining research space in terms of hardware. I think that people understanding like how the semiconductor industry flows into the mining industry, what what the connections between these hardware companies are with companies like TSMC and Samsung and like how, how that all connects is underexplored right now. Long-winded answer, but hash rate markets excite me because I think they, they'll bring more money and interest into this space. 
great. Thanks for your take on that. And how can our listeners get in touch with you, learn more about Minor Update, and follow your insights? So I am at DC Armitage on Twitter. You can follow Minor Update on Twitter at Minor Update. I would recommend subscribing to our newsletter as the best way of getting regular updates. That's minorupdate.substack.com. And yeah, feel free to reach out at any time. Our email address is hi at minorupdate.com. So feel free to shoot us an email at any at any time. Super. Daniel, thanks so much for kicking off the Humans of Crypto Mining series and giving us a 30,000 foot view of the industry. Appreciate you coming on the Crypto Unstack podcast this week and hope to chat with you again soon. Thank you so much, Leslie. As always, hope you enjoyed this week's Cup of Crypto. If you like what you heard, please share and subscribe on Spotify and anchor.fm slash crypto unstacked. Do engage with us through social media. I'll provide details in the show notes and connect with me on Twitter at Les Lambo. That's L-E-S-L-A-M-B-0. Would love to chat with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take care and see you at our next episode.